Sonic States. Hello and welcome everybody to Sonic Talk number 156. Uh, we're recording this live if you're with us in the chat room, which I sincerely hope you are. It looks like a bunch of you are. SonicState.com forward slash live. Uh, come and meet us next week if you're not here this week uh, at 4pm UK time. Uh, it's Wednesday 2nd December the show will be posted on youtube on uh, itunes and all the various you know and on the site as an mp3 uh on thursday the 3rd of december as we hear in the run-up to christmas um so hello and welcome everybody um let's start with uh well i'll start with uh, rich hilton how are you doing rich hilton I'm doing real well, thank you, Nick. How about you? I'm good, yeah, not too bad. I start, suddenly feel that I've got Christmas coming, and it started to worry me a little bit. We had a good, uh, but and, and you know that's okay though. I think we're we're ahead. It's fortunate for me that uh, my partner is very much together, and she's been buying presents for people that I hadn't even started thinking about yet. So, <laughs> so that's great. <laughs> but um, I had a bad data week. One of our raid, our, all our raid drives went down, like two separate units. My goodness. And uh, we discovered it's some kind of little quirk in the hardware that when you shut it down, it just zero. It seems appears to zero the drives, but when you kind of reconfigure <laughs> the box, they come. It comes back again. <laughs> that would be a quirk, all right. Yeah, but but after thinking, shit, it's all gone. Oh, excuse my uh, language, but that's the sort of language you use when you use a when you lose a couple of raid ones. Um, uh, we found out that they come back, and these are InfoSafe dual bay raid one say uh, raid enclosures. If anyone's thinking of getting one, I'm not sure you should, <laughs> to be honest. So, yeah, but I'm okay. Anyway, uh, Rich Hilton, of course, is uh, world-renowned and world-class, Emmy-winning, Grammy-winning, no, not Emmy-winning, Grammy-winning, and multi-board award-winning and platinum gold disc bestowed recording engineer, producer, and player. PJ lent me his Emmy. Ah, okay. We'll, we'll swap, we'll send it around the, around the team. So, yeah, uh, yeah anyway, welcome, uh, myspace.com forward slash Altonius. And uh, let's uh, say hello to Dave Spears also from GeForceSoftware.com. Make us a fine musical instrument. I trust you are well. I'm well, yes. Thank you. Good. You managed to avoid the illness that uh, was the scourge of your household last time we spoke? So far. Good. You must be a healthy man. I think it's the fact that I'm unhealthy. Pickled. Just glide through it, yeah. <laughs> Just always a bit ill, never really ill. <laughs> but by the same token, never exactly healthy either. Yes, fair to middling. <laughs> fair to middling. Well, that's okay. Anyway, you had a good week? Uh, no. Oh, I'm sorry to hear that. <laughs> but at least honesty uh, is the best policy often. No, this has been a very, very trying week. And what are we on Wednesday? Mm, I only hope that this hour will be a sort of an island of tranquility in the sea of your chaos. The only reason I logged in. (laughs) That sounds quite poetic, almost. Uh, Let's uh, say hello to PJ Tracy from Minneapolis, Emmy-winning PJ Tracy. How are you doing, PJ? Hello. I'm doing very well. Other than having uh, some crashes over over here this way, I Skype crashing and all my preferences resetting. I think other than that, I'm doing great. Uh, it's one of those things. Mark says that he's just uh, it's had a, a system update, which is obviously not what you want when you're in the middle of this. So I'm just going to go see if I can get Mark Tinley. Hello. Ah, that's better. How are you doing? I'm all right. I unplugged the um, handset and it installed an update. Ah, you don't not what you always want, don't you? No, I don't know. It's so now, now I'm on Skype version, whatever I'm on now. So okay, well, it sounds much better. So the update was Good. definitely worth it. <laughs> so, Excellent. Uh, uh, well, let's let's jump straight in with our first topic, um, which is uh, Max for Live has been released. Max for Live comes with a huge library of new instruments, MIDI effects, and audio effects, ready to use in your live sets alongside Live's native devices. Some of these devices were built exclusively for Max for Live. These include what we affectionately call the Big Three. Buffer Shuffler, a powerful effect for creating glitchy, chopped-up audio in real-time. Loop Shifter, a sample-based instrument that automatically maps unique parameter combinations across your keyboard. I won't play all of it, 
because there's quite a lot of it. Um, but uh, that's the tying in with this. We missed it for last week, but uh, Max for Live is here. Uh, this is the Cycling 74 technology. It's like 15, 20 years old, this technology. It's traditionally been used as a sort of multimedia audio MIDI programming language. Uh, runs on Mass, Mac OS X and Windows XP. Uh, you could buy it for 299 US dollars, uh, 249 euros uh, with cross grades if you already own Max 5. Um, I was looking into this and it does, I've never really got into Max. I know they use it a lot in education, uh, but it looks actually really brilliant. And what a, what a great idea. The fact that now in your door, you can essentially program stuff yourself. So you don't always have to use the well-trodden path. You can deviate as wildly as you would like. And I thought it was, um, it was worthy of a mention. I know that, um, we're not necessarily all, f- all Max users, but, uh, I, I certainly have, I have never have, so I can't really comment, but it looks quite interesting. Anybody else, uh, think they're going to take the plunge or have used it in the past i've used it in the past mm. you could- not for about 10 years i don't think no and um i found it quite interesting to use actually when i used it and remember being able to build things out of lots of modules and do all sorts of midi processing that you just couldn't do with anything else well, it does, uh, it does audio now. And what was really cool in the demo, if you watch the whole demo on the Ableton site, is you actually get, um, you can do it in real time. So you can sort of root stuff and hear what's happening to the signal in real time over, over as you build it, which I think is a really uh, powerful feature. I mean, I've used lots of plugins that run in Max runtime. So other people's Max plugins I've used. And there's a Max runtime. AU plugin, I think, if I'm right, which is which takes other people's Max patches and and will make them work as a plugin in Mac OS X. I think I might not be right about that, but um, but if I could, yeah, you know, maybe I need to go and re-explore it actually, because if I could start doing those sorts of things myself, that could be quite good fun. It's a very smart move as well, because obviously, you know, you get it and it, it, it sort of ties a whole bunch of people into the Ableton Live platform because a lot of people, a lot of educational facility use uh, Macs, as far as I understand. And I don't know whether it's, I'm not sure whether it's via, it's now only being developed sort of continuously on the, on the live application or whether it's actually, you know, forming a dual path. I don't know. Dave Spears, do you know anything about that? Sorry, I know nothing, nothing. about this. No. Would you like to? Probably. This has kind of got me a little interested. Uh, I'm going to talk to Houston about all of this because I reckon some people are going to get very deep into this, aren't they? Well, it, I mean, it comes with a whole things. yeah, it comes with a whole bunch of stuff already, and uh, you know, you, uh, and it looks like it's sort of and a whole load of tutorials as well. So I don't know. I think uh, I think this could open up. It's sort of almost like giving. I, I like the fact that you're within the sort of massively structured environment of a of a, uh, a traditional door. Although you know, you could argue that live is not a traditional door, but I mean, let's call it one just for the sake of argument. Now you can actually break out and do all of this sort of really weird stuff, and presumably break it and make things kind of not sound right and do things that aren't necessarily what people think you want. Yeah. Yeah, and I did like that buffer shuffler. I did think that. I thought that was very good. The little controller was kind of, kind of weirded me out a little bit, actually. I think the noises kind of sent me off the Richter scale. I don't know. I get a bit. I get a bit tired of, um, you know, this whole sort of. I just want to sound like glitch. I mean, it, surely it must be other applications to it than that. Yeah, and that's where I thought the buffer shuffler was actually really good because you know, with the sort of pattern based stuff, it was just really interesting. Really oh yeah, the buffer shuffler just allows you to resequence the the quarter notes, doesn't it? Or the is that right? Yeah, and there's all sorts of uh, odd things you can do in there. You know, link the two to link the two sides together. Oh yeah, yeah, separately. Yeah, I mean, I thought I just thought that was uh, musical and yet clever. Hmm. I don't know. That's good. I mean, PJ, have you? Uh, I'm guessing you probably finished your musical education somewhat later than the rest of us because uh, you're probably the youngest here. Was Max part of your curriculum? No, um, <clears throat> I had a very traditional, you know, Western theory kind of curriculum, um, you know, based on uh, mostly stuff that happened 200 years ago. <laughs> okay. <laughs> the Beethoven <laughs> but, uh, edition. Yeah. yeah. But as, as, as far as I, I have, I have no personal experience with Max, but I've run into a lot of, um, you know, a, a lot of creations along the, a lot of other people's creations with Max along along the way as well as, well as Jitter, which is the the video um, 
component to Max. Yeah, that looks good. And what I th- what I see that this might allow for is a kind of simultaneous evolution of live as a platform or live as an environment, because Max more so, as I understand it, than a lot of the other um, off the shelf. Uh, modular programming environments, even even you know ones like Reactor, which are very very deep, is extremely open ended, and so a lot of commercial products have been have been derived from people's graphical programming inside of Max. Mm. And as as that is the case, it will allow for those that are um, capable or willing to essentially you could you could create as much functionality as live currently exhibits you know with with something like max so you, you in other words you that that product might evolve you know in ways that that the original designers never uh, intended well, also, and, I think, and also the fact that because they're all it's, it's essentially open sourcing things because presumably stuff yeah. that comes in max live that people make that maybe you know doesn't quite get there or needs performance tweaks the guys at ableton could just kind of go hey that's a great idea we can kind of compile that to work as within live much more efficiently and therefore make it you know a feature it's like it's like crowdsourcing it exactly i think i think that's exactly what could happen but you could but aside from that aside from official you know uh I guess encompassing of of features that people create along the way, or plugins that they create, or c- control interfaces that create, you could ostensibly have several iterations of Live existing simultaneously, you know, out in cyberspace that people have um, custom created for themselves, or communities have custom created for themselves, creating um, I guess anything from just minor feature tweaks to something unrecognizable. Oh, I see what you mean. So it's almost they could create their own editions. Yeah. That's an interesting yep. thought. Very interesting. Um, um, in the chat room, obviously, one of the uh, th- there's been a deal on Reactor, which has been going for 99 bucks um, during the Thanksgiving period, which is a very similar kind of parallel programming environment, I suppose. I mean, it's as deep. I mean, it's, it's more closed, I suppose, but it's still quite, um, quite a similar thing. So I, I don't know. I, I, Rich Hilton, are you, is this something that you find you would find you'd have time to, for? Would you, can you think of things you'd like to do that you can't, that you think you might be able to, if you tweaked with this? It's not so much that I can think of specific things that I think I can't do now as the bigger palette is always better. And right. having more stuff to grab for and try is cool when you're looking for something. I suppose that. I, 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 but if you have to build it, it's the idea of you know how much time do you have to invest in this kind of stuff, really? Well, well obviously, they're going to give you a fairly interesting set, as we've already seen in video, of ones that other people have built and designed. And there's undoubtedly some sort of tutorial aspect, because Live oh, yeah. is really good with t- tutorials. And um, so no doubt that they're going to hold your hand through the process of feeling comfortable in that little Max programming environment that that guy wrote however many years ago. And it's remarkable. I think on a business level, it's brilliant of them to go out and get this for that particular program because its users are those guys. That's very true, yeah. Tweak things and loop things and what rhythmically you know interesting things happening along and it's just i mean i think on some level we're all that guy but though if you go to the you know ableton booth at any given trade show you can see this whole culture of its own over there and this is perfectly directed i think yeah marketing thing it's it, it you know it hadn't occurred to me until you mentioned it nick but yeah this might actually bring new people to the program it may be that powerful let alone convert some who are already using it but um i will i mean i me wish i had time you know i'd love to it looks like something i'd love to get into well uh, i can just in my time spent with ableton software and by the way 8.1 is now out yeah um it's just really easy to get stuff going on in there. Once you yeah. get the hang of their interface, like processing things and moving them around and trying out different kinds of – it happens instantly and you never have to stop playback. And it's pretty remarkable. It's a pretty yeah. cool place to to germinate ideas and create things that uh, out of out of looking for stuff. Like not, not necessarily so much when you've got this, you know – 
64 barred chord sequence that plays twice, then you have a bridge and an out chord. Not necessarily for that, although maybe that too, but from that get-go kind of sandbox creation moment thing, um, it's really powerful in anything they do to broaden that and make it, you know, if they include five cool modules that were already written, 90% of their users will never go, get into writing their own Max plugins, and that's fine. I think people like to think they would, and I, I'd love to do it justice. I mean, maybe I'll try and um, get hold of a copy and see if I can come up with something. I like the idea of just being able to customize something for you, because that's the thing, you know, as we all gravitate towards the big three, big four, big five kind of door setups with their their included virtual instruments we could all it, it, we can all become a bit generic there is a danger of that you know just just by the, the very nature of it so using having something like this means there's there's a lot more possibilities uh, max for live uh, was out i think it came out last week just before um Oh, 24th, it says here. So it was probably just before the last show. Uh, and it's, like I said, it was 299 bucks, 249 euros. If you already own Max 5, it's $99.79 euros. So there you go. Now, that may seem completely random to you uh, as a sort of introduction, but what that is is uh, the Hobnox uh, audio tool, which is a purely Flash-based, browser-based music creation application. And obviously, with this new Google Chrome OS, which um, they've sort of started to bring out now, you know, in terms of public beta and get developers on board, they reckon it's going to be ready by, you know, same time next year. The idea with it is it's basically a a browser-based operating system and you know they're not going to get into driver writing all the drivers and stuff like that so that's going to going to really open up the doors for people like Hodnox and what have you and i just wonder what you know like certainly from dave's point of view as an audio developer you know what does this mean anything to you can you see you know is there a roadmap starting to kind of look make itself apparent can you see some diversions coming your way shortly or are you just going to ignore it until it reaches um, a much more critical mass Probably the latter for us, especially this week of all weeks. <laughs> okay. <laughs> <laughs> you don't want to get into one of those ballooning developer discussions where the possibilities just uh, start to... Yeah, no. Well, I'm having to keep very tightly focused this week. I see. Um, in order to get through it. I thought it was... Uh, yeah, no, interesting. Very interesting. I mean, they're now starting to create uh, versions of this operating system you can put on um, USB sticks if you know what you're doing so you can boot your hardware into Google OS. Uh, but what was quite interesting, I, I did go and have a look at some uh, comments on it, and there's uh, this guy called Linus Upson was talking on, uh, I think it was Time, no, CNET, and he's the engineering director for the Chrome browser and Chrome OS, and he, he one of his quotes is, we want to get out of the business of printer drivers, all the problems related to drivers, we want to go away, which is kind of what microsoft mm-hmm. got bogged down and so the idea is is they're going to try and make this thing completely agnostic and leave that issue to other people <laughs> whereas you know things like class compliant usb drives class compliant um mass storage cameras that kind of thing is actually where you want to be so that the, the, the there's a essentially there's a hardware recognition of this stuff so you don't have to get involved in drivers and if you're using something like the hobnox audio tool you can just kind of go oh yeah i've got some audio here's the outputs whatever so it's really much lower level so the operating system almost doesn't get involved that would free up an awful lot of uh, developer time for for people to create web-based applications and you know maybe we're going to start to see a lot more of that with this as this becomes more and more of uh to the forefront because let's face it i mean google are still on the ascendancy it's very hard even though it's hard to believe there's still a lot more coming from them i believe i don't know rich do you do you think this is um this, this has any bearing to your immediate future well it makes me wonder first when they say browser-based operating system does that mean it runs standalone in a browser window or that you have to no have i don't think so i think it's it, it, it well I, th- I think it's not browser-based operating system it's it's a web apps based so everything is kind of network applications in the same way that you've got google apps and you know all of that kind of stuff so it requires connectivity in order to work yes you need network okay I'm good well, there may well, be then, some offline element to it but i don't you know. know we've had this discussion and i've been thinking about it a lot and talking to my son about it a lot lately um this whole idea where you can actually move all your documents your spreadsheets and everything like google currently actually supports that mm. and now they're trying to get into the uh the business of doing these podcasts by with this google wave thing and um there's already that it already exists on some level in your current browser window called google 
because they've got documents and spreadsheets. All yeah, that sure. And, and it's occurring to me, and, I, and here's why. Here we are, we're on vacation, and my younger son has a paper to write. And we're halfway across the country, and my son and I each have our laptops, and we both happen to have uh, Microsoft software on them. But let's say we didn't. The smartest thing for him to do is to put it up on Google in his Google account, and then he can be sitting in the hotel lobby using their business center writing his paper. He could be doing it anywhere. It's actually a very, very cool thing that it kind of supplants the need to have expensive software on your computer to do these things. Yeah, you can't beat free, especially if it works. I'm just wondering in terms of whether it's going to work for real-time stuff and real-time collaborative stuff, and because you know, that's, that's something that does need DSP. Well, you should, have you had a look at Google Wave? Speaking of collaborative stuff. I do time. have an account, but I haven't had time to kind of figure it out, to be perfectly honest. I don't well, know it's exactly that. It's exactly about the collaborative real-time application of that principle. Hmm. And communications, including video and audio, ultimately, although right now it doesn't do a lot of what it says it's going to do. But I can see where they're going with it. And when you combine that with this online-based document, it, like once you make the jump into to use this piece of hardware, you have to be connected to the Internet, which is what that says. Then that's a pretty cool way of – unless you really have some high-security stuff you don't want on public servers, mm. you know, however private they try to make them. Sure. I can I think it's great. Hmm. Don't know, Mark. Can you can can you see this? Is this this float your boat excite you? Um. Yes, it does because I would like to have. I mean, I do like having access to all of my information wherever I am, and that's becoming more and more of a possibility. And in, I mean, I've had an iPhone for a year, and I now do the majority of my email on my iPhone when I've got free time. So if I'm sitting waiting somewhere for 10 minutes, like in a doctor's surgery, if there's an internet connection or a 3G connection or even just a mobile network connection, on some level I can look at some of my email and answer it. Yeah. So I'm never really sort of sitting doing nothing. Now, if on some level I had a handheld device that I could sit and make music with that I could sort of expand on, well, I do have that, I guess. But, I mean, it would be nice for all of that information to always be available, wouldn't it? You sort of, with the audio, though, you're going to have, because moving that sort of data in real time, you're going to have to have local copies, aren't you, to work on? And you, what you do is transmit the changes rather than the the difference. I mean, we're talk, you, with audio and video, you're talking about massive file sizes, aren't mm. you? So that's, I mean, is the network going to be able to keep up? And, and Rich is absolutely right about Google Documents. And last year, when I wrote my book um i wrote it with a woman in america who transcribed it for me so i wrote it by speaking into a dictaphone she transcribed it and she said well i don't really have any software for doing this i've got a computer but i don't have access to any software what should i do and i said go on google join google use google documents and we'll collaborate using that system and that's exactly what we did so even though i was on a mac and she was on a pc which is still even the, even in this day and age causes problems with spacing and character returns and sure. all that sort of stuff um you know we were able to coherently communicate with each other and i communicated changes to her and you know we carried that out and eventually i took took it out and put it into microsoft word format so that i could upload it to the publisher for it to become a book. And the, I think the only thing I didn't take into account happening was that Americans use two spaces after a full stop and we only use one. So I had to go in there and edit all of that. <laughs> That's an interesting... Um, is that it? I wonder... Yeah, I, I mean, the thing yeah. is, is uh, I mean, in terms of real-time <laughs> audio, I guess it's... I, I guess the bottom line is we're not really there yet with this OS, but you can see there's going to be so many people just developing mm. for this because it's going to become the norm that, you know, it's, it's like a whole new platform to develop, develop for. So it's going to be using, you know, whatever the, the ter technology, whether it's Flash or whether it's JavaScript, all of this stuff. I mean, we have people in the chat room, the uh, Shannon S who did that uh, Sonic State synthesis, the Sonic Talk synthesizer, you know, that was done in JavaScript. That's amazing. You know, that's just, mm. I guess that's modeling in code. There's no samples. So, you know, all of this stuff is going to become more and more real i just wonder whether or not but, yeah it's... it makes an assumption that somebody has a computer which has a fast enough processor yeah. in to run it first of all and that also they have a fast enough connection and i'm sure somewhere on the planet somebody's gone oh i don't need all of that and they're 
grandson is going to come along and try and run it on their computer and kill their computer yeah, I suppose on so. a modem on like Windows 95 or something. So, I mean, it, it assumes that the rest of the world is keeping up in terms of pace of technology. And I know for a fact it isn't because my children don't have that fast a computer in their house because their stepfather doesn't see any point in having one. Yeah, because he doesn't well, do we've, music. We've talked about this he before. Does his accounts. Mm, and that's it's, it. it's going to lead to that uh, duality that we've talked about in the past, isn't it? There's sort of uh, a number of things come to mind. I mean, we've talked we talked about this last week actually, and you were talking about whether or not this is going to create a disparity between specialty computing systems made for content creators and the rest of of humanity, I guess. Um, and I and I'm wondering if if you might not be right, at least in the in in the offing, you know, in the, in the, in the not too distant future, because of the fact that the internet does become your, your access to the internet becomes the bottleneck. And I think months ago when we, this is a recurring topic. And months ago, when we talked about, uh, cloud computing, I had mentioned that if you go to ted.com, oh, yeah. there is, a, there's a senior, uh, Google engineer, and I'm blanking on his name who gave a talk, uh, I believe in 2008, at the TED conference in 2008. And what, what was a little, it was, it was a little um, heavy handed and, and definitely almost religious, the kind of uh, termo- <laughs> yeah, terminology that he used, but he definitely delineated Google's agenda, which is to be at the forefront of cloud computing and to be the preeminent window into the cloud. And I think that what we're seeing here is, you know, obviously the the birth of that, and they're way ahead of everybody else on that count. I mean, they just they made a three quarter of a billion dollar uh, purchase uh, about a month ago of a company that is at the forefront of mobile advertising, and uh, their Droid 2.0 system, which my wife has a has an Android phone, um, is is amazing in its speed and complexity, and the fact that it's open source and there's app, you know there's applications appearing. You know, daily in the in the Google Store uh, for for the for the G for the G phone, and I think I think what we are seeing is this um, you know th- this move to a digital identity, uh, you know, where we're going to be forging some kind of singular digital identity in cyberspace, and there's going to be uh, maybe maybe only maybe only one way in. Maybe several, if if there's any competitors, if Apple or Microsoft sure. or any of oh, them to be on there, I mean. get up to speed, yeah, yeah. So uh, that's that's all I have to say on it. But as far as music creation, you know, it, in terms of web music creation, I, I think we may be a long way off in seeing the kind of robust applications that we have, um, you know, on on our on our desktops currently, because there obviously there's there's not enough there's not enough bandwidth mm. to accommodate that currently. I think I think the key thing that Google are doing and is very clever is that they're collecting a user base first and then they're giving them an operating system. And there's plenty of alternative platforms to Mac or PC because we've got Linux and Unix and various different flavors of that and all sorts of other little sort of flash-type Java kind of operating Uh systems which are out there are open-source operating systems. But to actually build up the user base by giving us so much free for so long that they end up with millions of people converted to their platform, when they then give them the platform, that's when when Apple are literally going to, you know, collapse into the wings. And, I mean, where's Windows going? You know, I mean, I think that, that... Windows is going to go a, a hardware route, possibly, and uh, Apple maybe will take over the. I don't know. I don't know what. You know, well, the, we'll have to wait and see. The iPod market, maybe. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, I I think it just it's a fascinating subject, and I'm sure we mm. could go on. Uh, we could go on following this thread for some time, but I suspect we probably uh, would. Our listeners would probably like us to talk a little bit about music technology. So it's kind of my fault for bringing the operating system into the arena here. <laughs> but let's just uh, take a pause and uh, have a message from our sponsor, who are Yamaha.uk.co.uk. Um, they would like you to uh, take a listen to their Yamaha download 
download podcast, which is uh, the November show is current. I think it went up last week. Uh, and they talked to Paolo Nettini, who is a kind of uh, current singer-songwriter, just before he went on to the stage in Royal Albert Hall in London. Uh, he uses the awesome LLX16 guitar. Uh, there's also an interview with rocker Jeff Rouse. It's quite guitar-orientated this week, but it changes on a regular basis. Last month, there was uh, quite a lot of uh, high-tech and keyboard stuff. Uh, in the studio, they also have two unsigned acts play for them, uh, giving them two very special and different live performances. So if you want to check out the Yamaha Download, it's a monthly podcast. If you head over to sonicstate.com forward slash Yamaha, there's a landing page that will take you to it. You can download it via iTunes, you can listen to it onto the site, you can do, you can get to it in a variety of different ways. So uh, please do go and check them out. And also, uh, there is a Yamaha newsletter. In fact, well, if you go to yamahadownload.co.uk, there is uh, a website where you can get hold of the newsletter, you can uh, check out what's going on there. There's some great interesting stuff there. There's a couple of articles. There's one on uh, how Yamaha consoles are used in the X Factor, and there's also a clip from the of the DX7 animation from Monsters vs. Aliens, which I think we, to- we spoke, spoke about in the past, but I'd not seen the clip. It's, it's a very loving, lovingly recreated DX7. Very amusing. But basically, if you, in- if you subscribe to the newsletter, it's a, I think it's a monthly newsletter, and and particularly as we're heading up to NAM, it's a very good time to check it out. I mean, obviously you can unsubscribe at any time, but uh, we suspect there's going to be a whole bunch of new stuff across a variety of different product types from Yamaha this year. They didn't do that much last year, but this year they tell me there's going to be a lot more. So check out the newsletter. Head over to sonicstate.com forward slash Yamaha, and there are links to go to there, to the various resources I've talked about. And we do thank them very much for their continued sponsorship of the show. Uh, it's very much appreciated. Uh, and uh, that's it from our sponsors. So uh, thank you very much. You're looking very bored, young man. You're talking to me? As a matter of fact, I am. I've been watching you this evening. You from the FBI or something? No. I wonder if I might join you. Seems you just did. Perhaps I can offer you some coffee. No, thanks. I don't drink. Yes. What is it you do want? I could offer you an unusual evening. <laughs> I doubt it's some <laughs> Isn't that great? That clip. I, I, when I when I played the introduction to that clip, I just thought that I've got to use that. That just that's just so funny. <laughs> that was the sound of Boris Karloff and Ian Ogilvy uh, from uh, a film called The Sorcerers, which is a 1967 film. Uh, and basically, it's uh, the plot is simply a great hypno- hypnotist, Professor Marcus Monsterat, who is played by Boris Karloff, has developed a technique for controlling the minds and experience the sensations of his subjects. Uh, and there's a great clip where he takes him into his laboratory and plays him all sorts of kind of weird synthy plinky plonk stuff with uh, uh, some oil projections over his face and he kind of trips out and it's all very good and I, I just thought uh, I think I, I wrote in the notes Christ I'm not sure I'd want that piped into my ears but it made me think about audio that has a strong physical or mental effect on you but not necessarily an emotional one so not, I'm not necessarily thinking of a sad key or a, an audio soundscape I just wondered whether anybody had anything specific that really affects them kind of quite deeply I mean I for one um I can't think of anything off the top of my head. There's certain frequencies that just make my ears hurt, which I guess we all suffer from a little bit. And I, Dave, Dave you probably know that more than most with your <laughs> labyrinthitis. But I wonder whether there are any other things that you know actually make you feel good or feel sort of pleasant. I'm very. Um, I do love sawtooth waves, but I'm very. Um, I have to be very careful of them actually because I think that's how my labyrinthitis kind of kicked off you know i was editing a lot of the string machine sounds and i would take the laptop to the swimming pool where my daughter swims every saturday and i'd sit down with my laptop and put the headphones on and edit away so you've got this really gnarly sawtooth wave going through your head and then i take the headphones off and you've got the acoustics of the pool which right. would kind of send everything a little bit trippy not dissimilar to doing <laughs> which i thought was quite novel but obviously and now there are some frequencies that I, I hear that actually do make my it's almost like they make your feelings rattle and uh, make me a bit kind of ooh-er. but uh no what was what was really fascinating is when we started development of the m2 it's got such a warm and lush sound that actually it was a completely different experience you know i've been used to these very gnarly waveforms and then all of a sudden i was being soothed by waveforms and i think i do generally get so i think everything in life is all about frequencies and the way, you know, the, the cycles that people operate on, the frequencies that people operate on, and things operate on. So for me, everything revolves around audio, really. 
That's a bit deep, isn't it? No, that's, that's very good. That's very deep, that's, yeah. That's good. Mm-hmm. I, um, uh, Mark, I'm going to let you come in last because I know you've got a very... Uh, I, I think you might have an anecdote that I want to hear in okay. full. <laughs> <laughs> PJ, how about you? I mean, I know you're, you're, you're involved in audio an awful lot. So, you know, is, is there something that you kind of... you find soothes or has an effect in that same way? Oh, yeah, most definitely. Uh, for me, it's running water, and I, th- I would imagine a lot of people have that. But, uh, it's like sort of ca- the chaos of it. I suppose. Yeah, I love it. Yeah, I love I love the chaos of it. I also and especially there's something about if you if you turn on running water and you let it you let it run into a basin or you go and you sit next to a a waterfall or something like that. Water hitting water. I, I think can do that for you now. If yeah. You like. Well, Mark happens to be in the bath at the oh. moment. <laughs> ah, fantastic! I'll fall asleep. <laughs> Only it actually sounds like you're doing something um, you know else. <laughs> yeah, but this this reminded me. This particular video reminded me of a story that I saw about a year and a half ago on the NBC Today Show, which is uh, one of the big morning shows in in the U.S. And um, their chief anchor or correspondent, Matt Lauer, went and had a QEEG done of his brain. So they map the electrical activity at different lobes of the brain. And then through some proprietary process that apparently was developed by a Russian doctor, they convert that into two separate pieces of music, one to be played on a conventional CD player upon waking in the morning and another to be played uh, at night before you go to bed. And apparently it's the, the theory is that it's supposed to help you wake up in the morning and sort of set your tone for the day more than just an inspirational thing. It's supposed to react with the electrical system in the brain. Wow. And then in the evening, it's supposed to uh, relax you. What's interesting about these pieces of music is they, put, they played several of them that were derived from different people. They have similar but not identical signatures in a lot of cases. The, the one for the morning is kind of a major almost invention-like kind of piece, like a, like a Bach invention or a fugue, that kind of thing. There's a lot of fugal counter, counterpoint happening, and it's almost always entirely in a major key, and it's more brisk, as you might expect, from, for the morning piece. And then for the evening, it's slow, languorous, and often in a minor key. Oh, that's, that is interesting. I, I was looking at a number of things here um, that came up. One of them was uh, this chap, Vladimir Gavro, who uh, who worked in a building, a uh, concrete building that had a seven hertz resonant frequency and it made all the people in it ill. And uh, so he um, he turned that into some historic, in, into some scientific research, and ended up making um, unpleasant audio weapons, which uh, I thought was a little bit of a, a strange use of audio. But uh, as we know, that's been used a lot in the past, you know, with the theta waves and all of that sort of thing. I know, Rich, you're. Uh, I, I imagine you probably have have some thoughts on the matter. Well, regarding things that give me a pleasant physical reaction, um, and to put it as politely as possible. Um, it varies according to circumstance, and there are so many of them, and some of them are natural, like what PJ describes in terms of running water or just sitting in a forest where there's almost a zero ambient noise except for birds and animal sounds and things like that. I mean, there's just so many of those for openers, birds, listening to birds in the morning. Um, and then the musical ones ranging from, you know, symphonic orchestra to solo piano to uh, the occasional rock band to... Um, to who knows the occasional reggae band, uh, you know, but, but then there's the ones that are unpleasant for me. And those are very easy for me to identify because the, I leave the room. The alarm in the uh, morning. <laughs> well, no, 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 It's not even like that. No, it's usually concerts that are excessively loud or unpleasant sounding in these days. And, um, but I remember I used to joke in the studio, there was one engineer who used to come visit our studio who used to mix so extraordinarily loud with so much top and so much bottom that I used to joke that I'd have to leave the room clenching my buttocks and holding my ears. Um, but, but, so besides that, you know, some like lighter variant of that occurs at certain points in life where I'm in a room where something is just excessively loud or obnoxious sounding, and I'll turn around and I'll just leave the room. This happened to me at a reggae concert once where the bottom was so was just too loud. I couldn't stand it. I had to leave. I went outside and it was still too loud. I still had my earplugs in. It's when it moves you physically sometimes. There's a sort of, you know, gets you in the in the in the inner organs and starts moving them around. That can be a bit unpleasant. Yeah, I don't need I don't need to be vibrated at that <laughs> you know that 
at that uh, uh, amplitude. <laughs> I just at, at that depth, shall we say? And less so than I used to. I mean, same with roller coasters. I mean, I might. It may even be the same response as roller coasters because as I get older, it's harder to do. It takes more out of me to, to do it. When I was a kid, I could get online and get online and get online and get online. Now I got to take some time, re you know, reacclimate. Kind of do what Dave did when he took the headphones off, doing the string edits by the side of the pool, and I love that image of Dave. <laughs> <laughs> Dad, did you see me win? Uh, yes, Sorry. of course I did, darling. <laughs> exactly like an Arp Omni. <laughs> well, I like the sound of. There's a there, actually strangely enough, there's a fan in my uh, parents-in-law's um, downstairs bathroom, which has a kind of caudal tone. It's got a. I guess it must have a natural G or you know something to do with the the, the sort of mains and the hum. And it's got all these other harmonics, which almost create a chord, which is very pleasant to listen to. And that's just an environmental sound. And I can't yeah. help when I'm in there, but sort of hum in these sort of weird atonal sort of Indian type <laughs> scales around it you to myself. Yeah, it, I just couldn't <laughs> help it because it, it seems to resonate with me and the room. And I just, it seems to fit my sort of whatever my natural note is, you know. I is, do that with my electric toothbrush. Oh, really? Yeah. So, <laughs> interesting. I do this in every bathroom stall I'm ever in. Yeah. <laughs> I'm serious. I'm dead serious. I can find the harmonic, the, the ringing harmonics like, like that, like in no time. And the next thing, you know is I'm, I'm humming along in some something that makes those things light up so every oh, time you that's get that, cool. every time you get to that note it goes through the hole. <laughs> that's interesting Excellent. isn't it the, play, the pleasure the pleasure of an acoustic space that you can actually manipulate because it's obviously small ones are easier to manipulate you have to be make a pretty big sound to be able to do it in the uh, in a um, well, bathrooms are good because if as in being in the bath yeah well I, I there you are because i'd electrocute myself but if i lay with my mouth just above the surface of the water i can probably get the water in the bath to resonate at a frequency sympathetic to the room and then it gets really loud and that's a really cool thing to play with actually oh, that's very interesting Asio in the chat in the in the chat in the chat room says oh god bathroom talk again which i think is a good gag <laughs> I've not seen that name in before. If you're new here, that was uh, very well done. Thank you very much. Bada bing. Where's that button? Didn't we have a button that was like a snare roll with a little symbol on the end of it somewhere on a website? What was it? You found that, didn't you, Dave? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I can't remember what it was. I can't remember where it was now. Um, well, I didn't tell you, did oh, I? Oh, no, Mark, I'm so sorry, because right. you sent a brilliant... Um, well, you did a blog post on it, which I thought was it really, really entertaining, because this was obviously all about mind control, and you were experimenting with that. Was that right? I was thinking about mind control, yeah. I discovered something about... Well, actually, what happened last night was I was making the tea, right? And I opened a tin of processed peas, and the cat, which was nowhere to be seen, appeared suddenly in the kitchen, like, zoom! And I was like... Whoa, okay. And then I thought, I wonder if I can make that happen, you know, to control the cat. By have, if I had the sound of an opening tin in my phone, I could just press the sound off and the cat would appear. And this would be a cool trick to play when, you know, visitors come and things. So I recorded the opening of a tin into the iPhone, played it, to, uh, waited for the cat to go to sleep, and waited till it was nice and chilled out, and then played the recording. And of course, the cat didn't respond at all. So I thought that's kind of odd. So I thought, well, it must be down to the quality of the recording. So I'm, I recorded it on Pro Tools, and you know, with, with a decent microphone, played it back on decent speakers, and the cat absolutely no interest at all. So I thought, well, maybe it's lost interest in the food. So I jiggled the lid of the same tin of food which I just opened. And the cat, which was asleep, literally looked like it had been electrocuted. It kind of jumped off the sofa on four legs and came running into the kitchen. So the cat can hear something that Pro Tools and a good microphone and a decent set of speakers cannot recreate. Cannot capture. Yes. Yeah, so I think I've invented, I think we should, uh, Sonic Towers should patent this as the new... Uh, benchmark test for audio and it should be like the cat test it should be like the sonic state cat test <laughs> or something. oh that's brilliant i'd like yeah i'd like to maybe we sh you could document it and everybody can try it matt c in the chat room says my dog responds to recordings of my doorbell on a zoom h4 ah uh, well you go and read my blog then because i i surmised right at the end of the blog that cats are more intelligent or have better hearing than dogs because dogs respond to, to recordings of dogs barking but my cat won't respond to a recording of the other cat meowing so there's something in 
something in the cat hearing range, which is important even in a meow. And my uh, my partner Gina said that sometimes when they open their mouths, they make this kind of half open mouth face. And she said apparently they're making a noise when they're doing that, a really high pitched noise, which is telling other cats there's something here of interest, which we can't, we can't hear. hear. Yeah, so I think. So would you would you be able to record that in a one nine two k sample rate um, HD system? It depends what what the filtering set to, doesn't it? I mean, if it's set if it's set to capture that, you know, capture half that frequency range on the Nyquist thing, which is what ninety six kilohertz of bandwidth it would be, wouldn't it? Mm. If it's set to do that, maybe I don't know. I don't know how high it is. Rich, you've got a task for the week. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> don't get on well with cat, but uh, it's down to the microphone and how and the pre and the you know the signal path and whether or not well, it will support those frequencies. Yeah. How would I measure the, the frequency, right? No, you wouldn't Go until you tried. Yeah, dogs would quite happily bark at recordings of dogs, but the cat's not having any of it. But that would make sense then. If you've got the tip-toppest mic and the tip-toppest preamp, and it, um, and if you get that right, the cat will respond. Then you know that you've got your audio system tuned up. I'm so <laughs> glad this right. has finally <laughs> kind of steered around some audio tech. It's <laughs> right back to RCA's His Master's Voice with the dog <laughs> sitting next to the Victoria. Right. Yeah. There's a yeah, message in there somewhere. You know, they had it right back then few decades on it now needs to be a cat that was listen- he was listening the, the dog was listening to another dog barking or somebody had recorded uh, somebody opening a tin of dog food <laughs> that's, what it, that's the story behind that photograph so mark does it matter what's in the tin in terms of the cat's response oh no it doesn't make any difference what's so in it's the not tin. smell right okay no, so you don't she, think it's smelled it no, she recognises the sound of the tin, and she'll recognise yeah. the other end of the house as well. And, and what if it were a much bigger tin, like a coffee tin, like one of those th- big things with the coffee grounds in it? No, I don't think it needs to be like a processed peas tin or a cat food, a cat food tin, size tin. I think it's, it must be down to the diameter of the lid then as well. <laughs> I, I, I can, I can att- attest to this, actually. My, my cat will respond to anything that you use a can opener on. Right. So if... Yeah, okay. so I mean, even if it's a larger can of, you know, like stewed tomatoes, that kind of thing, he just appears. You mean it's an electric, hears, that's an electric okay, can opener? It? No, so, no, 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 just a regular analog can opener. <laughs> I always favor the analog can, over, can opener myself. It has a more natural open sound. <laughs> in, the, in the UK, we, the cat food that we feed our cats called whiskers, and in the UK it has a, a ring pull lid on it. Oh, yeah, and it so, but they'll recognize the sound of that being opened as well. So, Oh, yeah, uh, soup cans as well. I mean, he, he hears the, the tin on tin, you know, when, it, when the metal rips away from the from the metal okay so if you use it if you use a can opener you have a pull top on the can he'll he'll uh he'll come running but it doesn't seem so to can, matter so you yeah. can experiment with this as well then <laughs> sure and i've got a cat too but we don't use tins we've got uh, uh, international research project yeah well <laughs> maybe we can get some brand, brand <laughs> yeah. but i like yeah. i like the analog can op- t- the analog uh, tin opener i think that's a great a great concept uh, which which leads me quite nicely to the last of our topics if we think we can get it in do you think we can get it in loving pulse width oh yeah oh yeah right i'm gonna play you a quick oh, clip yeah. because i just love the sound of this Now, Skype's not doing that justice, I will admit. It was basically uh, a big city music demo of the 4 milliseconds A-Toner pedal uh, module, which is a Eurorack module. It's a part processor, part generator. As a processor, you can add pseudo pulse width modulation effect to any source. I'm reading from the copy now. Uh, it can also act as an analog pitch shifter, giving you one, two, sometimes three octaves down, and interesting partials in between. There's a simple filter that allows you to shape the tone even further. Uh, there's a great line in it. There are two CV inputs, both with attenuators. They're bipolar, just like your mum, <laughs> which I thought was <laughs> was, uh, was just a funny little addition. $325. Uh, but I, I, I responded really well to this because the initial part of that demo was, was uh, pulse width. And I know pulse width has become really kind of quite advanced over sort of probably the last 10 years or so where they've been able to introduce it into waveforms other than square. 
And uh, I just really love the sound of it. I th- there's something about it that really kind of floats my boat. And I thought, well, I wonder if there are other synthesis. There must be other synthesis techniques and types that uh, are your particular favourites. And it's, it's it's my way of trying to drag the entire episode back into some kind of synth techie kind of world. <laughs> so uh, I, I wonder if you can uh, you humour me for the last the last few minutes of the podcast with this. I don't know. Let's start with uh, you, Mark. Um, do you have a kind of favourite? synthesis type or or parameter that just kind of every time you go for it that it it, it floats your boat and does gets you somewhere uh, yeah i do actually and it's a very very pure square wave so a, probably a digital square wave yeah um through a resonant 24 decibel filter 24 but four pole filter all right yeah One and is that ones. is that is that a sweep or just a kind of particular point I think it's a particular point, and I think the first time I really heard it and liked it, I was in um, trip at the Astoria, and it came out the speakers at about nine hundred decibels or something, and it was like that kind of. It's the sound that used to be in all the old Acid House records with that kind of go go go. Oh yeah, kind of thing, and it was. It sounds like somebody uh, hitting a tennis bat on the end of a piece of very long pipe except then it opens up into the raw square wave and you kind of go, oh, yeah. <laughs> that does it for you, doesn't it? Yeah, absolutely. Love it. Ah, interesting. That's very specific as well. I like that. Brilliant. Is there anybody else? Rich Hilton, you're a man with a history of synthesis. Is there a particular style, kind, parameter that you just can't help yourself? Well, first of all, the topic, uh, modulating the pulse width of a square wave in an analog synthesizer slowly. Yeah, is gorgeous. Does me every gorgeous time. I can't I... thing to do. And in fact, if you can create uh, modulated wave shapes in general, as a part, I mean, and and then don't get me started on filtering because I do love my filtering. So <laughs> so, I don't know to, to to point to one thing, and then if I want to modulate either or both with an audio frequency wave and see what comes, you know, like th- there's just so much of it. And I just love doing it all. So makes me want to go out and get Max for live. It's interesting because I mean the reason (laughs) I really got into pulse width um, very much more recently when I was doing the dope for dark energy review because you can pulse width modulate the the waveforms on that and and I just had endless hours of fun just listening to that moving around and the movement and sort of just just did something that really kind of appealed to me the harmonics it introduced or whatever forget the filtering just the sound of those harmonics shifting just really kind of does it for me right well you may remember also a range of ensonic instruments that have had wavetables uh, I, I also know that the uh korg wave station had this and uh that you could modulate along the wavetable and uh that was a really nice animation that wasn't overly it was very subtle and provided a really nice nice warmth to things i used to use it a lot dave <laughs> now this is going to be hard for you i imagine because you are immersed in synthesizers and synthesis <laughs> all modulation i mean like i said earlier i love uh, triangle waves um, and sawtooth waves in fact i love all waveforms really it's just kind of bizarre but modulation of anything i think can be anything from manic to beautiful and it just kind of gets me every time and like mark said you know when you kind of boost the peaks of certain things and then you modulate that you can get i, I, I do quite often uh, put the lights down low in here and get slightly anal and orgasmic about things <laughs> they're two words in the same sentence so i'm not sure you should have put together but there you go oh, i think that's perfect i think that's very fair though i think modulation in general i mean because ultimately without modulation we are everything is sterile isn't it yeah, and that's beautiful in itself, but mm. there's something about this kind of ever-shifting movement. In fact, I I can't really say what it is, but this topic and something that I've been doing gave me an idea for a product, and I and I was I even went to bed and dreamt about it. Really, and woke up in the morning thinking, "Oh shit, what was the name that I was going to give that?" <laughs> but I love that kind of constantly shifting, evolving texture vibe that you get from nice modulation. It's yeah. a really nice in the soundtrack to the Diva movie. There's a really nicely modulated synth in that. I seem to remember, which sounds like a sort of a Jaws harp sound. So it sounds like someone opening their mouth, but it's not. It is a synth. Notable modulations. Mm. Yeah. Mm. 
That, that that could actually be the title of the uh, the show this week, I think. Um, well, we'll That's see. That's a brilliant pun as well, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Notable modulations. Um, PJ. Ooh, what more can I say? Yeah, I, I love modulation is the hair of the dog and the hair on the dog and the crack in the teacup and all of that. I mean, it's uh, it makes everything wonderful. And uh, I, I am I'm addicted to modulating the noise that comes out of my mouth <laughs> by opening and closing it frequently. And uh, yeah, but exactly. But recently I've been getting into, um, I mean, it's not, it's not necessarily a, a favorite type of synthesis, but just f- for a couple of pieces that I've been working on is physical modeling. I'm finding to be uh, a very interesting. Are you using very, very tight waveform cycles to do that? Yes. I'm well, and I'm using, I'm using Tasman. Okay. Which is which is a wow. I, I bought it. Oh, yeah, you're the one. <laughs> <laughs> I bought a copy of this years ago and never, I never got into it. <laughs> so I, I haven't. Just, I, I, haven't I haven't found that useful that piece of stuff. <laughs> oh, well, you know the thing is, I I, I hadn't either until <laughs> until just recently. I started uh, creating these very interesting kind of resonating dulcimer sounds inside of Tasman, and the, and there's a lot of. Uh, there's a lot of life to them that uh, that I don't necessarily find in you know specifically in sample sets and and you can do you can do obviously some extraordinary extraordinarily different things inside of a physical modeling program than you can with a sample set. So it's yeah, it's interesting. Mm, that, didn't we cover something uh, a while back about the guy who was doing this flash-based uh, resonant modeled stuff? Did we? I, it was like some little web app or something. Sort of ties in with the uh, Chrome OS thing. I can't remember now. I'd have to go back. It was probably a year or so at least ago. So my memory is uh, shot to pieces, obviously. Uh, unlikely to remember that. But I'll see if I can dig it out and stick it in the show notes. Hmm. Yeah, I, 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 think, um, I think modulation gets a good shot. I mean, that seems to be four out of... Uh, well, actually, my was pulse width modulation. So it's basically mm. full marks to modulation. Modulation is the synthesis Yay. technique of all time. That's and that's very. Uh, that's what. What do we call that? That's a uh, consensus. That's the word I was looking for. Ah, we have a complete uh, consensus. A quorum. <laughs> yes. Well, anyway, thank you very much for that insight. I think that is, uh, that's a nice way to round it off. Although I do have a note I got from uh, a guy called Ed Egan, who I don't know if anybody knows this him. He's He's been involved a, a lot with work on the Huckham Continuum, and he was listening to last week's podcast, and he had some comments to make. Uh, he uh, basically was saying he wanted to add to PJ's comment about the need for a newer version of MIDI. Uh, I agree that what, there are certain things that are wrong with MIDI to date. Uh, improper MSB, LSB pairing is one. Uh, that's a bit beyond me. But there are more important problems with the way current MIDI spec is implemented within receiving software and hardware devices. Um, he basically uh, says go, goes on to say that the continuum communicates to the Kaima exclusively through MIDI, and there's no perceptual difference between playing sounds from the continuum to Kaima over MIDI versus playing the sounds with a direct link between the continuum and its internal sound engine. It works this way because Kaima and its hardware are highly optimized to process the external data like MIDI. So Kaima has been designed to expect continuous data that a musical device can produce. Uh, we, uh, and there's, you know, there's a lot of continuous data. And the, it, what the problem is is actually there's, and here's the rub. He says receiving desi- devices typically choke on this MIDI river. Kaima oh. does not. Some older, de- uh, but, but interestingly, some older devices don't either. For instance, the humble early Roland Sound Canvas. Uh, so most devices or MIDI to USB converters, converters can't process the full MIDI spec stream without buffering or dropping data. Perhaps more importantly, these devices are not fundamentally designed to handle the continuous data that something like the Continuum can, or perhaps a wave drum. So, uh, yeah, that was his comment. And I just thought I wanted to bring that in, because A, he's, uh, he's a bit of a legend, because he's worked on the, the Hack and Continuum, which we all know and love as a sort of very esoteric, and, and probably one of the earliest controllers that, that generates an enormous amount of data. And the fact that uh, he written in, and he said... I'll just start with love your podcast in general. So thank you very much for writing in, Ed. That's uh, uh, you raise a great point there, and uh, I'm sure um, we will all be able to concur with that. Do we have yeah. consensus on this point? But that's an interesting yes, point, absolutely. isn't it? Here, the fact here, that, uh, that it's you. not necessarily the MIDI itself; it's more to do with the receiving devices and the, the way that they they are sort of dumbing down what MIDI can do. Perhaps hmm. that's fascinating. Hmm. Anyway. I, th- I think I met Ed last year. He did a brilliant demo of the Continuum. Yeah, he's a brilliant player. Yeah. yeah. 
Amazing. Uh, well, I suppose um, on that rather, uh, fortunately, the last two topics are kind of we can say I've been music and tech, and thanks for everybody to listening, uh, particularly the live streamers. Uh, Sonic Talk Live, uh, sonicstate.com forward slash live, 4pm on a Wednesday afternoon in UK time. Uh, please do come by and join us. And uh, while we're at it, we're, we're on a drive to promote the podcast and get ourselves further up various charts. We missed all the podcast awards, so uh, if you get a chance and you use iTunes, go and leave a comment for the show um, so that we get uh, a critical mass of comments, and it sort of tends to get you on the front page and then you get snowballed and all that sort of thing so that's uh, my only plug cool. for the podcast i want to say also thank you very much to our show sponsors uh yamaha.co.uk we really appreciate them and uh, we're looking forward to seeing what they got at nam and uh, only remains for me to thank our guests this week uh, it's been a great chat i'm very I've enjoyed it very much uh, i'll say goodbye first to mark tinley because i know he's in the bath and i expect his water might be getting cold uh, and you, i don't want you to get a chill mark so mark tinley well, i think I've, my fingers and toes have gone very strange You're pr- pr- I, have, I, have no t- I haven't been able to go in the um, <laughs> chat room have i <laughs> no you can't type obviously my, my it... apologies to everyone i can't type to <laughs> well maybe you need some conditioner or something and you know you want to re-moisturize your hands and feet before you before you try and do anything uh, too delicate well, I've got to jump in a car and go and get east from Molly's house now. So, <laughs> well, you've had uh, you've had quite you've absorbed quite a lot of water. Yeah, imagine through your through the, the your largest the largest or, largest organ of your body, which is of course your skin. Before anyone gets smutty on me, so uh, autism hero. Thank you very much. Been a pleasure to have you. Look forward to seeing you next week or whenever. Uh, I will have yes, some idea well. about what the Christmas opening hours will be. I haven't thought about it yet. Oh, so thank you, Mark. Okay. All right. Very welcome. Thank you. And uh, we'll also say thank you to our US guests. Uh, first of all, Rich Hilton. Thank you for joining us. I hope you're going to have a good day. Did you, I'm guessing your 30-inch monitor didn't arrive then? Not yet, but, you know, still just, what, noon, just past noon here. Oh, that's cool. All right. Well, I hope uh, hope it's all it could be and everything you, you hope for. <laughs> Thanks. MySpace.com forward slash Hiltonius. So you can see what Rich is up to there. Thank you very much. And also we'll skip across to Minneapolis where PJ Tracy, Emmy winning PJ Tracy, is no doubt we're chomping at the bit to get to work. I am. But thank you so much. Uh, it's always a pleasure to be able to emote and, and learn about something so fundamental to all of us, I'm sure, which is audio and Technology and audio technology. Great. So thank you. <laughs> thank you, PJ. And uh, finally, uh, Dave Spears from G4 Software. I hope your week uh, improves after this point and you can go back to it relaxed and in some way sort of ready to take to tackle the trials and tribulations of being a software developer. Thank you. <laughs> I suspect that's a very polite way of saying no it didn't help at all <laughs> anyway Dave uh, thank you very much and uh, that's that's it for this week 